it's Traumedy Tuesday. You are listening to Traumedy, the podcast that shows us how to take our pain and play with it. I'm your host, Nancy Norton. I'm a comedian. I'm a former nurse. I'm studying therapeutic humor. And I am also a trauma survivor. And I want you to know you're not alone. That's the main purpose of this podcast, to help people know you are not alone out there. We have been through some stuff. You've been through some stuff. We can show each other how to get through it. This is peer-to-peer learning. I'm not an expert, but I'm a speaker. I talk about the power of humor, why we need it, why it should be a higher priority. Humor helps us heal. It bonds us with others. It gives us resilience and much, much more. Make humor a higher priority in your day and see the results yourself. My guest this week is Zach Moss. Zach is an amazing comedian. He's a producer. He's a podcaster. He's making his headline debut at Comedy Works this week, Thursday, June 8th. And he's producing the Black Hills Comedy Festival happening in Rapid City, June 22nd through 24th. I'm excited because I am headlining on the festival along with the amazing, incredible, I can't say enough adjectives in front of the name, Sam Talent. If you don't know Sam Talent, this guy is the comedian's comedian. He's he's phenomenal. Go to the Rapid City Comedy Festival. We're going to have a blast. Come join us. Oh, oh, oh. The other thing you need to know on this episode, Zach, he just drops a lot of F-bombs. So if F-bombs, if you know what I mean by an F-bomb, if you don't like the word fuck, then this episode is not for you. This is an uncensored podcast. We want people to feel free to speak their truth the way they speak their truth. And that's what we're doing here on Traumedy. Peace and love, everybody. Enjoy this episode with Zach Moss. We are on Traumedy, the podcast with Zach Moss. Howdy. Howdy, Zach. You have a podcast, Hippie No Hippie. With AJ Finney, is this correct? Yeah, hippie not hippie. Hippie not hippie. Yeah, but Hi- not hippie no hippie. Hippie not hippie. But hippie no hippie. And now I'm like, damn it, <laughs> that would have been shorter. That would have been a shorter name. We should have maybe gone s- with hippie no hippie. Could have saved a lot of room on the T-shirt. Yeah, fucking T though. We had to put that T in there on the knot. But yeah, I do. Uh, I do a podcast with AJ. He's a hardcore hippie. I'm, uh, you know, a secret hippie, I guess, uh, according to, as we've been doing this podcast, yeah, apparently I'm... Your secret? I... Your secret's out. I'm a member member of the counterculture, of a counterculture, and I have long hair, (laughs) and I smoke weed, but other than that... Other than that, some hippie-ish... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't like uh, the crystal thing, I don't like the... I I'm very sensitive nose. Uh, I don't like the nog champa or the patchouli or. Oh, the, dude! I cannot hang with the patchouli either. Or just Palo Santo wood smells like burnt hair to me. Uh, I really don't mm. like uh, burnt hair jam band music either. I don't like hippie music. AJ is taking me to the Grateful Dead in June, and uh, I you found are, out the you other. Are un- you are ungrateful. Well, and I found out the other day that the show is like eight hours long. And I was like, uh, and he's like, he's so jazzed. Like, he'll go watch these jam bands for eight hours a day for like three days in a row and love every minute of it. Uh, and I was like, dude, I, 
I was like, two hours at anything? I'm fucking ready to go home, man. And and he's like, no, man. Like, even your favorite band? And I'm like, even my favorite band. Even my, I watched Paul McCartney play for three hours, and that was pretty awesome. But when it... And he's literally playing... The, the Beatles lo- The hits. long and winding road. Okay, we're halfway through that song. You're like, uh, it's too long. It's too winding. Yeah, he played for three hours, and I was like, this is great, but I'm glad that it's, I'm glad I get to go uh, but home. I like myself Yeah. and my own time. I'm the same way. I think about intermission. I'm really torn at intermission, whether I want to, I'm, it's, I think also, do you have ADHD? If I have ADHD. I do have yeah. ADHD. Man, it's just so hard to be anywhere for that long sitting. And unless you're actively doing something. But maybe. Yeah, I guess I forget that they like dance to this music. Like, yeah. Looks more like an acid spasm to me, but I guess it's <laughs> dancing. But I, That's a new term. For me. <laughs> I'm, you know, you're teaching me new terms and everything. Acid spasm. Acid spasms? Yeah, that is a uh, that's a word I just made up. So, like, yeah. I like the acid spasm. I'm having an acid spasm as uh, as opposed to an ass spasm. Have you ever had an ass spasm? I have. Uh, yeah, those are. I've been having back spasms, like because it's been so cold. Where all of a sudden I'm just like, ah. <laughs> uh, let's listen to this bit. We're gonna we're gonna go in depth. What's behind the funny? So this is what we do on Tromedy, is we take a bit, and it's funny, and people laugh, but may not know what is behind this that needs such a big release. Because this is a bit with a huge release at the end, and you might be surprised to find out what is behind this particular bit. I used to work in the marijuana industry, surprise. One of my favorite things about working in that industry is I got to see all the new products when they came out, try all the new stuff. One of the weird ones I ever saw was a marijuana sexual lubricant that had the boldest claim of any product I've ever seen in my life. They claim that with proper use of this lube, that a woman could have a 15-minute orgasm. Silence and fear for most of the women in the world. One woman up here is like, hell yeah, nice, she's talking to her friend. I mean, I'm sure it starts out great. You know, I'm sure it's good at first, you know? It's like, oh boy, oh yeah, oh boy, uh, 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 uh. How much time is left? What, 14 minutes and 30 seconds? Oh no, it's getting stronger, it's getting stronger. Get your fucking hands off me, get your hands off me, don't you fucking touch me. Oh my, how much time is left? 14 minutes? That was hilarious. So I did own a dispensary. I opened, I think it was, it was like one of the first 10 dispensaries in the state. I think we were the seventh in Denver or something like that. Maybe the ninth. What year, what year would that be? Uh, this would be 2009. Wow. Uh, and you were the bud tender. Well, I, I owned it. I was the master grower. Um uh, I was also a bud tender. So what happened is, is I was a homeless street musician in 
San Francisco. Uh, I was playing music. I wanted to be a musician. And uh, I talked to a friend who was like, hey, uh, if you want to grow weed, I will buy a house for you to live in. You grow weed in the basement and we split it 50-50. So you're talking to this friend. This is in San Francisco. Yeah. And you're homeless and ready to buy. Well, yeah, I'm like, oh, so a whole house that's mine and make, you know, uh, with how much pot we were going to be growing because we were going to grow 99 plants uh, because over 100 is a big step up in the felony level of growing marijuana, or it used to be. This is still totally illegal. Yeah, because on a federal level, isn't it still illegal on a federal level? Yeah. So, uh, so this I, is before it was legal. All right, sorry, I keep interrupting you. Go ahead. I, but yeah, I was going to make like $120,000 a year and uh, have a ha free house to live in, and uh, that sounded pretty good uh, after being homeless in San Francisco for a while. So uh, I came back, started growing the pot, and... Uh, you know, I smoke the pot too. So it was crazy because like, uh, growing up in South Dakota, I was very always paranoid in a, you know, smoking marijuana or in the cops or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then I moved to Colorado where they didn't give a shit. And then it was decriminalized like almost right after I moved here, I think. So I was like, Oh cool. I don't have to, it was like this big weight off my shoulders and yeah. stress. Then I started growing you know, when you have a hundred plants in your basement, you notice every fucking helicopter that flies over your house. Oh, <laughs> every sound you hear, like if a bunch of car doors slam, all of a sudden you're like, it's fucking happening. You know? <laughs> it's like, going down. Yeah. Did you have a plan? Like when you think about that, did you have like an exit strategy or here's what I'm going to do? If they, if I hear the pop, 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 the pops or the whatever. I mean, then if, if did you have once you hear that, there's nothing you can do other than get a fucking lawyer. I mean, that's the So plan. you didn't need, you didn't have a plan. Yeah, there's no like there's, there's no, no like once I, once they start trying to ram the door down, I have it barricaded and I'm going to flush all the weed down the <laughs> toilet. I mean, we're talking Yeah. But uh and then you're smoking it. So you're not as paranoid because it's a little friendlier place. I'm paranoid as fuck once you, I started growing weed in my basement. You were, yeah. in, in, even in Colorado. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Okay, and I, then you're doing, I, I, yeah, was this like quality assurance? Uh, this is a good one, you know? Oh, it was really good weed. The first strains I grew were uh, strawberry cough and grapefruit. Oh, which are kind of classics. They, you know, as I say them now, they sound like uh, they're like they retro like, strains almost. You yeah, know? man, this is I'm out of the pot loop, so I never heard of those strains, but it sounds lovely. Is this a pot friendly garage here? Oh, it's very, yeah, it's very pot friendly. Are you going to smoke? I okay. might a little during oh, yeah. the, the show just because that's, you yeah. know, I'm a fan. But uh, you can smoke. So anyways, uh, I get this. I go back. I start growing the, the pot. And I read an article in the Westward that says there's this guy in the Springs that owns a dispensary. Uh, the cops know about it. Everybody knows about it. He's found a loophole that he's using to operate through this attorney, Warren Edson. And uh, he made he made a million dollars last year is basically what this article says. And I go to my friend who i'm doing this with and i'm like man this would be nice if i didn't have to worry every time a fucking helicopter flew over my house because i start looking into this shit and then and he's like yeah you know this is really interesting uh let's 
set up a meeting with this Warren Edson lawyer fellow. Yeah, Warren Edson, if you're out there. Uh, he's still out there. He's in sponsor. Colorado. He's ran for the city council. I mean, yeah. uh, he's 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 a he gives, he's a part of Colorado I've, culture, I think. So we go and uh, meet with him, and he's like, yeah, you know, it's there's still a ton of risk, but, you know, he's like, really, they're afraid to do this because, you know, under the way that we have everything set up with the caregiver, there's like a loophole where you're kind of protected by this amendment. So at that point, we're like, fuck it, we're going to do it. We started looking for a place that would be willing to to do it as well because it's it's all great when you're like, yeah, I'm going to open a dispensary. Then you have to go talk to a, a business owner, like somebody who owns a, you know, a storefront and be like, hey, we'd like to rent your space. Oh, well, what are you going to do in our space? We're going to sell weed. You know, yeah, like that early people. Yeah. Challenge. And banking is also another issue. Well, banking wasn't a problem back then. It, oh, it came, that came later because they they weren't really onto it at first. So, I mean, the first few months we had credit card processing, we had banks, we had everything. And we had a bank for a long time after that. Cause we just lied. We said we were a DBA and we said our business was prodigy resources. And you know, <laughs> we, we were just full of shit, you know? And you know, we, what was great about being prodigy resources too, is that it was a staff, there's a staffing company with the same name so even though the LLC had nothing to do with them, when people would, when the banks would go to look it up and be like, we're getting like all these credit card payments, they're making a lot of money. Uh, what is this business? They would go look and that would come up. And I think that. And that was just a serendipity. You didn't, you didn't plan that. It just no, happened, it to, just be happened, that, happened to, to be. happened to be like that. That's so cool. We finally find a, a building and me and two other partners go in on this business together. I'm working my way in with sweat equity because I'm, you know, a, I basically was homeless like six months ago. <laughs> so I work my way in with sweat equity. Another uh, guy works his way in with sweat equity. And also he was just kind of the guy that uh, was willing to put his name on the lease and the paperwork and you know stuff like that yeah that's so, yeah he's willing to kind of put his neck on the line a little bit yeah i mean if shit would have really hit the fan he kind of would have been the fall guy was kind of his main purpose and then uh then my buddy had the money uh we get everything ready to launch we do launch the day before we open the store my buddy who you know had gotten the house who i opened the business with we'd been friends since i was kids uh, him and his wife got married, and I think it was like the day before his wedding, uh, the cops came and talked to him. He had been buying other houses with other people growing weed in them. He'd set up other grow operations and houses that other people owned and stuff, and some of them got busted. Uh, they all rolled on him. Oh. And then there was this other guy that got busted for, I think he was robbing pharmacies. Was he living at one of the houses? No, he wasn't. He was just a guy that, you know, my buddy like would do some some business with or whatever. But this guy got busted for robbing pharmacies. And then they, uh, he rolled. Ah. And he basically hit up my buddy who didn't even sell ecstasy or whatever. But he's like, hey, can you get me some ecstasy pills? Because that's what the cops wanted, I guess. So my buddy was just like, yeah, I don't really do that or anything, but I'll ask around and see if I can find some for you. And he wanted, you know, like hundreds. And my buddy was trying to find him hundreds of them. And he, he ended up finding, I think, six of them. 
<laughs> and he sold the guy six of them, but the guy wore a wire. And so oh, they got him with that. Then there was like, dang. basically like, so yeah, uh, shit kind of hit the fan. And we were like, oh, fuck. And it was literally right before the store opened, the day before his Ugh. wedding. He just went through his wedding Ugh. and like, you know, like things were okay. And... uh but that wire, the thing, the transaction happened the day before his wedding. No, the transaction didn't happen. I think they, they were like, "Hey, we have you on tape doing this," and like, I don't. Th- I think they he maybe found- came and arrested him, and he bailed out or something. Uh, like something happened the, the day before his wedding. He got yeah, the bad like news. shit hit the fan. Yeah, it was a very close proximity, and I can't remember if it was maybe right before or right after, but it was like within a f- few days. Uh. So we were like, "Oh shit," you know, but. Lawyers, good good lawyers, get through this, and then they made a law where if you had a felony, uh, you could not be involved in the industry anymore, which really sucked because all of a sudden, you know, my buddy had to plead to, like, he took a plea deal so that he would and did a few days in jail and whatever, but he is a felon, and so he wasn't allowed to own it. They also came out with a law at the same time that you needed to grow 70% of your own weed. So up until then, as soon as we touched a person's hand who owned a dispensary, like it was illegal. But as soon as it touched my hands, it became legal. That wasn't allowed anymore. They wanted to track it and regulate it and, and all of that. So all of a sudden we needed to, you know, we were producing, I think, maybe a 20th of the weed you know, in that house basement. Yeah, and suddenly <laughs> you know? you've got to be a grower now. And you got to show the paper trail or the weed trail. Where well, and, and we produced. needed a lot of money. So unfortunately what happened is, is there was this patient that had been coming into our store that, you know, was like, I want to get involved in this industry. And then it was kind of like, well, we need some money. And his dad was worth like $135 million. Uh, Very nice. Yeah. Well, you'll see. But, uh, <laughs> but it yeah. sounds nice. Let's They're just say from that. Texas, and his dad is his dad. Actually, is a very nice. You know, he started with nothing and and built that money. It's not like he inherited it or whatever. Um, he he was the first generation Self. that built that wealth. It's his son that was the huge piece of shit. Ah, uh, that. <laughs> well, that's the way it is. So this guy uh, is his name, but he. Uh, he basically is like, I, I want to uh, get into this. So him and I partnered up, and it sucked because my buddy kind of wanted me to, I don't know. It's like he couldn't be involved. It was very kind of scary to be involved anyways in this industry. Like, there was times when they'd be like, the DEA raided a dispensary in town, and you'd be like, fuck, are they coming here next? Like, should we stay open? Or a lot of times it was because they were doing illegal shit, you know, like trying to you know, skate, use the law as a cover. But, yeah, okay. Um, but it kept you on edge. Well, I ended up buying out Matt and Steve and then building a grow uh, in exchange for 51% ownership of the company, and then I took 49 so he had his control or whatever. Over the next, like, three years, uh, it was just the beginning of a very uh, abusive relationship very charming uh person uh one of the things that he'll immediately do with anybody he meets is he'll buy stuff for you like if you're out uh-huh uh he'll buy all your drinks he'll buy it's uh, like a mini version of love bombing in any relationship with a sociopath or a person with a psychopath oh pers- yeah personality disorder like that yeah he'll pay for everything he'll compliment you 
he, he's very charming and he'll, you know, he'll become your, your friend. You, you think. Yeah. <laughs> and know? I'm sure he's highly intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good, good looking guy. Uh, highly intelligent. And, uh, yeah, so he'll, he'll buy everything for you and do all that until he needs something from you. I thought we were going to be partners and that we were going to be like running this business together and that he would be doing the books. I would be doing the growing, but that didn't happen at all. Uh, he also is a, is an alcoholic or was an alcoholic. So basically what he would do is, is he would just spend all day at the bar buying people drinks. He would also take the employees to the bar for lunch and buy them drinks. And then meanwhile, he'd be like, ah, you know, we we're we're having financial problems at the store because uh, they changed the laws at the, like, so that you couldn't accept paperwork. Uh, you needed the actual red card, but the state was nine months backed up on sending out those red cards. Ah, uh, so you couldn't just show, look, I've got this prescription coming. Yeah, and you used to be able to do that, and then the state was like, you're not allowed to do that. If you do, you're going to get in trouble. And we were like, so we turned away 90% of our patients. They're like, the place down the street is accepting it. Fuck you guys. We lost so much business, and those people never uh, came back. And we are like, well, we'll get them back when they shut down the store that's doing the illegal thing down the street. But they never enforced that. They never did shit about it. And really, everybody who did the wrong thing during that time gained a huge market share. And it pushed a lot of the people that were doing the right thing out of the industry. And that's also a time when I learned that really, like, they just, I read an article the other day where they were like, there's a intelligence gap between like the most successful people and the people below where the people below them are actually more intelligent than they are. And they're like trying to figure out what it is. And it's like, I can tell you exactly what it is. It's a, it's a lack of morals yeah. that makes people very successful at business. Yep. Uh, and that's, that's sort of true in any, anything also, like if you're the pioneer and you do all the legwork and the groundwork and you figure something out and then somebody comes behind you like in our business, quote unquote, business comedy, you know, yeah. the hacks, the hacks come along, take your jokes and do them better. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but back in my day, yeah. people would take my bits, do them on TV. And then you're like, ah, and they did them better than me too. It's <laughs> so bad. Yeah. So, uh, the, the store was suffering and for years, you know, he would blame me that I wasn't working hard enough, that I wasn't doing this. I was working my fucking ass off, you know, that I, I was lazy, that I wasn't pulling the shit off. And, you know, I, I didn't handle the books, but I would do all this work and I'd like see sales increase and I would see stuff happen. And yet we would still be struggling uh -huh. and we would still be struggling, even though like things were getting better and better. And, uh, so one day I was like, how the f this just doesn't make any sense. And I went through all the books and, you know, just acted like he had money. And he's like, I don't even take a salary. He didn't work at the store. He wasn't a manager. But he's like, I'm not even taking any money. But then he would spend money on like meals and shit like that and stuff for these people. And I'm like, we can't really do this. So I was like, how much is he spending? And I went and looked and he was embezzling a lot of fucking money. Yep. And... One of the things with sociopaths, by the way, is one of the first things, if something doesn't make sense, that's one of the markers, too. It's like, things just don't make sense. Like, what? Because oh, you, yeah. you can't imagine doing what he did, so it's just so disorienting. Oh, yeah. 
Well, no, and I mean, this is a person that's like, oh, I love you like a brother. You're like family to me. I love you, you know. And you're and and then like, but then coming down on me like I'm fucking everything up at the store. When in reality, the the whole reason everything's fucked up is because you're embezzling and you're not doing. You're, you're not, not doing anything. You're not contributing yeah. anything but the original investment, I guess. Yeah. So I go and I confront him, and I'm like, "What the fuck, man? Like, fuck you. You're." You're taking a shitload of money, man. Like, this is the fucking problem here. All of this. You're fucking embezzling, dude. Like, what the fuck? And he's like, fuck you, you know, you, you know, hangs up on me. And the next morning, I get up to go into my store, and uh, all of the locks are changed. Oh. This is five years after 2009. This is in 2014. So, I mean, there was years of dealing with this shit. And this oh. fucking abuse. And then, yeah, all the locks are changed. And he goes, you know, fuck you. You know, I have the contract. I mean, this is such a long, thick story. I can't even really get into the lies and manipulation over the, the years of the stuff he did. Also, you know, it was constantly like, my dad's pissed at you. My dad wants to kick you out of the business. My dad wants to do all this stuff. I never talked to his dad. When I finally talked to his dad, he was projecting everything his dad was saying to him yeah. onto me. Uh-huh. And his dad, like, when I finally talked to his dad, his dad breaks down in fucking tears and starts crying. He's like, my son is just such a fucking piece of shit. He's like, I've literally handed him everything his whole fucking life. I've given him so many great opportunities because he owned a big uh, electric company in uh, Houston. And, uh, you know, he made his son, like, a project manager on a fucking skyscraper build. You know, that's like a, that's a really good job. You make a ton of money. But what he did there was the same thing he did at, at my store, he finds somebody smart and capable. The number two, he puts all of his responsibility onto them. And then he was going and getting fucking drunk all day or fucking sleeping or fucking, you know, yeah, he's not doing shit. And the number two guy is doing all the work, which is exactly what he did to me. He put all the work on me. And it turns out he had done this multiple times. This is his pattern. And his dad had given him, you know, all the money for this. And once again, he'd squandered it. I told him how he was embezzling and just drinking all the time and fucking all this shit. And his dad was just like, you know, he's still my son, but like, fuck, I could just tell how somebody who had worked for what they had, how ashamed of his son he was. Yep. A big red flag for me too is, uh, how men treat women. Uh, it's a major you know, and he was a total womanizer, liar, cheater. And I mean, if if men treat women that way, it's usually universal. Or, I, uh, you know, or even waiters. You ever notice that how people treat a server? Yeah. Well, yeah. his whole thing—he was great to the servers because he's oh. he's being ch- oh. charming. Oh, but he'd also be trying to fuck. If they were a woman, he'd be trying to fuck them. Yeah. He'd be like, "Oh, your arms look really good. Do you 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 work out? Don't you like his?" He'd say the cheesiest shit to people too, and it, and it would work, and it, it would worked. blow my fucking mind. Ugh. But he's just such a slime ball. But yeah. yeah, so I end up having to sue him. I get these two lawyers. Uh, we settle out of court, which sucked because once the lawyers start investigating, I thought he didn't be- best was embezzling about eighty k a year, but it turns out that he hadn't been paying a lot of the tax payments and stuff. So that the store was actually really back a shitload on taxes, too, because he was embezzling the tax payments. So they came to me and were like, hey, you know, you 
based on fiduciary responsibility, which is a word I learned then and wish I knew way more about when we were partners, because, you know, even if you're a minor share, your partner still has an obligation to you. It's not like they just have control to do whatever the fuck they want. They have a fiduciary responsibility. Yeah. yeah and they were like, you can basically take the whole store back, but, you know, his dad's worth a shitload of money and he can buy lawyers for fucking ever. Yeah. And it'll probably take about two years or so. Uh, you're, we're not free just so you know. And if we lose, like for some reason, you're going to owe us money. Also, if we win two years down the road, based on what's going on with the taxes, uh, he, it, it probably won't exist anymore. So you could be fighting for something that, so I took a minor settlement, uh, out of court and, uh, you know, used that money. I, I had fallen in love with comedy about a year before this had happened and knew that's what I wanted to do. So I took that money and used it to live and did nothing but stand up. And by the time that money was almost gone, uh, I was making just barely, like literally by a dollar some months, <laughs> enough yeah. money to pay my fucking bills and do stand up. Stay out of off the streets and you yeah. didn't go backwards. What do you think? And then this is on more of a, oh, I'll go with my spiritual uh, crystal self here. I'm really trying to trust my path right now. And I've had, as you know, some encounters with sociopaths. I was partnered with one and absolutely handed her my durable power of attorney and she took it and said you know this means I am you and then she did change the deed to our house which is not honoring her fiduciary duty but anyway I'm just saying even with all this injustice I'm curious is there any chance you see this is for your highest good I do I was miserable you know when I was working there i was very depressed i was drinking a shitload i was overweight i was unhealthy and uh it was just so fucking sad and you were being abused and uh by this guy like yeah. also beaten down regularly. well and before this you know i was a i was free i was a homeless street musician and i may not have had money but i had freedom and I was a creative and I was entertaining people and I was, you know, doing things. And then all of a sudden I became this business person for five years, was abused, was, you know, lied to and manipulated. And under all this pressure. And under all this pressure. And, and then all of a sudden I tried, you know, and I always, you know, I still played music during this time, but I didn't have time to like go out and play or to go to the open mics. I would like, bring people home from the bar and put on concerts for them at like two in the morning. <laughs> that sounds awesome. But not, but not, uh, but they, that it probably gave you some relief at it, least. It did. I mean, thank God for that outlet of, you know, creativity or whatever. But then I found comedy and I immediately was like, oh, this is what I wanted to do. And then I started, you know, standing up kind of around there and I was like, you know, I, you know, I can only be here this many hours a week, you know, uh, and because uh, I need to do stand up, and you know that was kind of when things also became a beef. Because I was like, no matter what I do here, it's not you know hire somebody else to. I don't know. There was but, not a, there was not a winning situation that you saw. I mean, it didn't matter. Is well, that yeah, what you're saying? Well, and I just I knew that I I loved comedy too, and that that's what I wanted to do. So I am happy where I am now. 
And yes, I did have to go through that shit. Did I deserve that shit? Could I have maybe gotten here without it? I'd hope so. But. I hope so too. But I'm I've been asking I've been asking my higher power this. Like, do we have to suffer to grow? I I don't think so, but I do think it absolutely if you are somebody who's always looking for the answer and you're suffering, typically there's this thing called post-traumatic growth that has been documented that people actually end up with more gifts after suffering. So I don't know. I was just curious. I look back at my trauma and I do see it as a gift, even though I don't wish it on anybody. I, I don't wish it on anybody to go through what you went through or I went through. But I was just curious. I like that. I just was like, like I wanted to hear from you if you saw it that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it was good. I've also encountered some people like him since then. And I spotted them fucking right away. Yeah, the markers. You know. Tell me some of the markers. You already said them. You said how they treat a woman. Things don't make sense. I mentioned like, or but do you get a visceral feeling? What are some of the other? It's just things? a gut feeling usually, but it's also if somebody's just like, I, I don't know really even how to describe it. But a lot of times, what it is is, well, and I say I caught it right away. I don't know if I necessarily catch it right away but i know that once they start once they start fucking with me you know mm -hmm. like once they flip the switch because there's all the building and the you know the 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 trust building and the and you know peeling down your walls before they fucking so at that point you're still trusting try to fuck most people you. you're still trusting them but well, once they flip that switch i that still trust people but yet yeah, and really it's a gut feeling i'm thinking of my dad bud norton if it feels too good to be true if it feels too good to be true and i've also like read a lot so i know uh there's a lot of tricks to like making people like you mm -hmm. and like uh like things you can do to, to subconsciously make people trust you or body language things or stuff like that how's and my body language right now do you not so good is it it's it's <laughs> fine like one of them uh is people will uh is is mimicry where they'll start using similar phrases to you and move similar to you because it automatically yeah uh will make you like and trust them and like I'll be like, oh, you're like you're literally mimicking me right now. You're asking me questions in a way to try to make me like you. I don't think you're actually curious in what you're asking me. You know, like. But here's what here's a tricky thing, though. I will say this, but I think too what I learned in nursing school and when we did our psych, psych rotation. But they taught us that's part of establishing rapport. Like there's some natural mirror neuron thing. That happens where people start sitting the same way, just just naturally. Or if I, it's actually a sign of empathy too. If I yawn and then you yawn, that gets so tricky between mimicry and empathy. That's where it gets really tricky. And to be honest, I haven't encountered a ton of these people, but the ones that I have that I've had the feeling about, it's usually been right. I believe you. And I think the reason I do uh, encounter them and I learned this uh, from the Boulder County Safe House. Shout out to the Boulder County Safe House Progressive Alliance for Nonviolence. There are people like me who maybe you're raised by somebody with a personality disorder and you're trying to get that need met and you keep going back to the poison well, trying to get that need met and convert. Like I've tried to heal sociopaths for my whole life and I finally am done, but I attract them out of my need it's a weird magnetism and anyway i'm doing you know jokes right now about uh 
trauma bonds. And I have a new dating app for codependents who want to meet sociopaths called traumabond.com. <laughs> All right. So, hey, where are we in the bit? Well, Listen so what's funny is, is that a week after, I think it was literally a week after he changed the locks on me, I won the award for Westward as 2014's hottest male bud tender, <laughs> which I thought was fucking hilarious. <laughs> and I also won the award for best named uh, dispensary for the name I came up with for the dispensary, the Relief Center, R-E-L-E-A-F, play on words. Beautiful. And, relief uh, yeah which a lot of people have stolen and we actually own my buddy matt and i uh still own the trademark on it so if you make a lot of money we're gonna fucking come for you <laughs> so we hope that you do we hope that you hacks that stole relief yeah make a lot of money but yeah so you know the joke starts off with me saying that i was 2014's hottest male bud tender and and you know i don't talk about any of the painful stuff about that time but uh does does yeah. it dissipate? Does it help you dissipate the the toxic energy around it? Because when I go back in time and I think about like my ex changed the locks on our house, the house we I yeah. spent five years building this house in yeah. the mountains up here above, and then she changed the locks after doing a lot of legal weirdness similar oh, yeah. to this, and and I, I mean it, it's just it's crushing. Uh, I mean it's so disempowering. I think the word is disempowering when somebody changes the locks on you. It's just, and I'm not that I ever went back there. I just knew because during the court cases of the division of property, I saw where she had changed the locks. But the idea mm -hmm. that I could never, I could never return to this property that not only did I spend five years building, but that was my, it was named after my son, his Nepalese name, have a, uh, which is a house for Mr. Biswas. It's a book, but it was a house we built for him with a door hand carved in Nepal that he would walk through a Nepalese door and she won in court, the door, the house, everything. And I mean, I got some settlement. She would not give me that door that was made for him. Anyway, I can get into that, like, ugh, that toxic uh, energy. But when I do jokes about it, which I do, it does. It takes it out. Do you find a relief from it? I do. I find a relief for it. And I still, like, so the store's still there. It's called Simply Pier now. It's on 32nd and Tejon in Denver. And, yeah, he fucked up uh on the taxes and everything the state found that he wasn't in good standing to own the place and i think he ended up selling that it to them for not near what his dad had invested in it so he lost that business he lost that business here's what's crazy too is i found a buyer for the store when we were going through our dispute where he could have made money on his dad's investment and I could have actually got what it was worth, but he refused to do it because of that just wasn't, it was like, I think he would have made like $200,000 or something, but that just wasn't very much money to him where it wasn't even worth it, you know, where, so he would rather just, I, I don't know. It, it, it was never his money. So I don't think he ever cared. I think at the end of the day, he's like, well, when my dad dies, I'll fucking have a hundred million dollars. So like, why the fuck do I need to care about anything? He'll also bail me out anytime I fuck up along the way. And really all I got to deal with is that my dad thinks that I'm a worthless piece of shit. And then I can just project that onto other know, people, who, other people. Yeah. yeah. And you know, as much as and we, he was such a piece of shit, man. Like, also the one the one of the final straws when I like really realized like his manipulation and it was all a lie is that uh he had a son with this woman and uh 
he, the kid, he was drinking like a, a whiskey Coke and he would make his drinks really strong. And the kid came in and wanted a drink. The kid's like three. Oh no. He gives it to the kid. The kid takes a sip of it and fucking throws up. Oh. The mom comes in and gets mad and he starts screaming at the mom. Like she's like a fucking dumb bitch, you know? And, they weren't together at that time or whatever, but I was just like, I was like, you literally just gave a child liquor, it you, puked, and then you fucking screamed at his mom for getting upset. Like you're a fucking monster. When you said earlier how you treat how how a man treats a woman, but I'd also say how these people treat their dog, how these yeah. people treat kids, or any what anybody that's disadvantaged or they abuse their power. So anyone under them, the way they treated you, you know, yeah. even though you're just one percent, but he was. Quote unquote, but he, he, he was the investor. He was like the silent well, he partner. Tricked, he tricked me into thinking that like I didn't have any power anymore because he was 51 and I was 49. But really, I had the same goddamn power as him unless it came to a vote on something. But still, he has an obligation to do the right thing. So like, really, I should have called him on his shit way before, but I didn't even know that I could. And yeah. that was also a thing is I just, That's... you know, I'm a, I don't usually take shit from anybody and like I... Like the way that this spell was worked, it's like I took this shit for like two or three years, and I just felt like such a fucking idiot. Yeah, and that's a, that's classic gaslighting. And they do; they have more education a lot of times. My ex was a lawyer, and and she told me, "You're going to be shocked when you find out how little of this house you own." And I thought I was a fifty percent owner at that time, but she had changed the from joint tenants, which is fifty fifty. To yeah. tenants in common, which is divided by percentages, and then had told me to get rid of all of my bank records, all of my sweat. I had a I had a three ring binder of sweat equity of projects I had done that she's like, get rid of it. It's in the way. And I, I, I don't know why I did because I loved kind of looking through all these uh, projects that were very satisfying. Anyway, I know exactly that feeling of getting under a spell. You do. Yeah. You get under the spell. Because at first they come in sort of like he came in as your savior. He likes you like your buddy. Came in and he's acting like my buddy. He's yeah. taking me out. We're going out for drinks. We're having fun. You know, like building. We built the that grow together. And and uh, but when I say we built the grow together, it's like he he would be involved in parts of it, but mostly he would pay people to do his his part. share. That's yeah. the same with my ex. Even in court, she said I I invested in her and she should take care of me the rest of her life. Like she actually thought she could buy a person. Yeah. I guess I was an indentured servant. Anyway, the and the, and and at first though there were times. This is where it gets so confusing because, like you said, there's this sense of co-creativity. You're doing something together. I had the same sense with the house up there. I don't know. That's very parallel. And I was also thinking, my ex also her dad had millions, and she. Why did she want? I had all to my name was the equity in my townhouse in Boulder maybe $200,000 to my name at that point, which I'd built that equity over 20 years. Oh, and yeah. then she wanted to take it, but it's not about the money. It was about the power and they don't care. Like she didn't, I don't know. She didn't need it. She didn't need the money. She just wanted that final, you got to stay under. Oh yeah. I thumb. mean, I think it still kills him that like, cause I was just like, fuck you. I confronted him and everything. And I, and I, I know it still kills him because I'll still get calls He'll still try to call me sometimes, like, around the holidays. And do what? Like, I don't think his brain can handle the fact that I fucking hate him. 
So he's trying to he's still trying to win you back over and convince you that he didn't do anything wrong. I I think so. Well, and it's weird because so he did the same thing to a lot of the employees there and he also played them against me where they were my friends and he had them convinced that like I had fucked stuff up and was you know like that was also kind of hard where like uh when the things ended I would see people that knew both of us and they'd be like they'd be like oh yeah how are things at the store and I'd be like I caught embezzling and fucking he changed the locks on me and they'd be like oh I don't get involved in ah and I'd be like you know I'm like he I caught him embezzling and he changed the locks on me. Like, that's like, that's not like a, oh, we had a little disagreement. That's like, what the fuck? Yeah, man. And people that do that, that say we don't want to pick sides or we don't want to get involved. This is another thing I learned from the Boulder County Safe House is that neutrality always favors the abuser. And I had friends, and this, I wanted to talk about the pot bond because I had friends that I was with in this activist theater group that were defending justice around the world, global injustices, you know, environmental causes, all this stuff. But when it came to their own backyard, their own, like, sister who was in their group for 15 years, and I'm telling them this shit just went down, and the safe house told me I've been with a sociopath for 11 years. They told me. I never even heard the term. I, I mean, I've heard of it. I thought it was for serial killers. They're like, no, there's like 10% of the population are these people. These women that I'd been with for 15 years were like, don't make us choose sides. And I'm like, well, you do, I will choose for you. I stay two degrees of separation from that person. I mean, that I will never talk to that person again. And also, people that don't know me that I spent 15 years with, you're, I'm done with them as well. Like, yeah, you go on and have other friends because I had three really, really loyal friends during that time. Um, yeah. yeah, and they... She kept trying to call them and, and ra like rake everybody away from me. It was really. I mean, a lot of my old friends uh, warned me about him, and I didn't believe them. And I even stopped one of my best friends from beating the shit out of him one night. And man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> That's your only regret. Oh God, I wish I would have let him fucking thump him. But uh... my one regret, and then I was thinking on the traumatic side, as we as we edge towards uh, closure. I don't know. How are you feeling about well, what you've shared so far? I have a so there's there is more to this story too, and I I'm to a point where I was really upset about it for a while. I mean, uh, he fucked me out of a lot of money on something that I created, and fucked me out of a lot of just my time and my mental health. And I mean, he he yeah, he really fucked with me. For yeah. a few years. Yeah. And I, it creates, and it I creates really, a lot of doubt. And I really hated him, but I'm to a point where I understand that, you know, like I hate is not good for me. Yeah. So I think I'm to a point where I I will never speak to him ever. Like if he tries to call me or if I saw him in person, I'd be like, I don't like you and I have no desire to speak with you. I don't trust you. Like if and he you're... showed up to a show or something, I'd be like, dude, I'm not get get away from me. Or we're gonna have a fucking problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but, and I don't like your words. No good. There's nothing you want to hear from these people because there's no reason to no, talk to them. No, and literally, but don't need to give him anything any more that bandwidth. he would say would be manipulative. Because I mean, that's just how he works. That's it. So, um, so yeah. So I have, I'm to a point though where I'm ready to be like I, you know, I I'm ready to forgive. But you know, don't definitely a, a yeah. I'm not gonna forget. Not and, forget. And what a yeah, he's a very not good person, and I hope maybe he's gotten some help and 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 
you know, figured out uh, how to not be such a piece of shit. Uh, hopefully that fucking kid that he gave the liquor to isn't totally fucked up from his parenting. Oh, no kidding. Uh, so. well, we'll send out a special prayer for that kid and anyone that's ever intersected with because th- he caused harm everywhere he went, I promise you. And he caused shame and doubt in probably all of the girlfriends he ever had and the children he's been around. And his dad, you know, while I do have some compassion for his dad, he also played a role, unfortunately, by not holding him accountable. But these people, mm. I hate to tell you, I mean, it's a nice wish, a nice prayer that he got help. But they, they can't, they have no conscience they have a lack of empathy. This is what I was taught by the safe house. Lack of empathy, lack of insight. They really can't do it. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes when they go to get help or if they go to couples therapy, it actually it gives them arms. Like not, That's not the right word, but it gives them these like tools to manipulate. They learn how to manipulate better, which is unfortunate. Anyway, I'm not saying if you're a psychopath, don't get help, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I hope yeah. I don't know. I, well, I, well I, here's what I had an idea of before we have closure. I just had this thought about a little piece of traumedy. Let's just see if anything wants to happen. No pressure. But I was thinking about greeting cards since he tries to contact you during the holidays. Like, what would be the like? Let's riff about some greeting cards we could write to sociopaths, like uh, psychopath poetry we could write, or I. Uh, It'd be like, dear, I'm guessing your son doesn't love you. Love Zach. <laughs> I think that's 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 all we needed. <laughs> that was succinct. Uh, that was a really succinct card. Most of my act uh, is about things that happened to me that sucked at the time, like when I got robbed at gunpoint. That sucked. Uh. <laughs> when the woman punched me in the face in front of the squire on Wu Tang Wednesday, Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That fucking sucked. So you got to listen to the whole album to hear these yeah. bits that show. Because this, what what we want to show people, and this is a podcast I'm hoping for lay people, not just for comedians, but to for us as we do it naturally as comedians is take our pain and play with it. I'm hoping we show people mm-hmm. like, look, man, if you can take something that happened to you and cartoon it and help dissipate it. And I know it doesn't yeah. replace trauma therapy. However... It does help in between yeah. therapy visits. This is, this is one of uh, these podcasts where I'm going to have comics that do listen to it come up to me and be like, whoa, you lived another life, actually. We <laughs> had no idea. Yeah. Because <laughs> a lot cool. of people have no idea. And when I started comedy, I didn't even tell anybody what I did, really, because I, I don't know. I was trying to uh, keep a low profile. Didn't want you just wanted to make it about comedy. I wanted to make it about comedy. I didn't want to be like I'm the fucking weed guy. <laughs> also, I didn't want everybody being like sponsor my show. <laughs> yeah, and maybe you didn't want yeah a bunch of people asking for buds all the time. Yeah, well, man. So I, you, what year did you start stand up? 2014. 2014. God, and you went to headlining so fast. Or 20. Uh, I started in 2013. Wow. And, and I then, got out of my store in 2014. So yeah, I started in September of 2013. And February of 2014 was when he changed the locks on me. So, yeah, I think I did comedy for five months, and I knew it's what I wanted to do. And you were forced into it by the higher power that locked you out of that other business. Well, I mean, I I wonder what would have happened because ultimately I could have 
kept the store or sold the store for what it was worth and then just not had to be so fucking poor for some of these years. But at the same time, I will say that being poor does fucking make you work hard. It does. It gives you a drive. It gives you a fucking drive, you know. And uh, I shout out to the the comedy gods. Yeah. To comedy itself because it's so crazy that once I was – had no safety net really living off of comedy, how it would be like almost the two days left in the month. And I'd be like, I need, you know, 60 bucks. Somebody would be like, I've got a spot for you for $35. And I'd be like, fuck yeah. And then I'd go and I, it would be a 10 minute spot. And I'd be like, can I pitch my card decks? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. And then I'd sell like two of them and make exactly $65 and be like walking home. Like, Come on, that's pretty like, cool. Yeah, but that's I, like trail magic. Have you ever heard about trail magic on the Appalachian Trail when people are out there and they just ran out of water and then somehow this jug of water just appears? Tra- oh, really? Ah, trail magic, yeah. It's like comedy. Uh, well, I always... Comedy magic? I don't know. That sounds I like thought, a hack act. Well, like, no, I comedy mean... Comedy magic it, act. It's like uh, manifesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was homeless in San Francisco, that's something I found fascinating about that city. And uh, it's very different now when I go back there. Uh, but it's still a special place. And I do think it's kind of a magical city because at that time, uh, it was crazy how we would just talk about, like, we need this or we want this. And, like, we'd be like, and it'd be little stuff. It'd be like, man, we want to smoke a joint. And we'd walk around a corner and there'd be like some guy sitting on a stair smoking a joint. We'd be like, (laughs) can we hit that and be like, oh, yeah, you guys want to smoke some weed with me or whatever? You know, or it'd be like, man, it's cold. I need a coat. And you'd walk around the corner and there'd be a box of coats and you'd one that's really cool that you wanted, you know, like, uh, and I don't know. I think I feel like I've had a, like comedy is definitely there's just some times where I'm like, Holy, I mean, even, uh, I just lost a gig a few days ago. That was going to be a big chunk of income for me. Uh, when I get back from this tour and I was like, fuck, but I, is when I lost it, I got kind of bummed for a second, but I was like, it'll something will open. It'll, it'll fucking something will be okay. And then literally I booked a, it was it was a two grand gig. I booked a, a fifteen hundred and a five hundred in the same week. Yeah, so isn't that amazing? And I think when you're on your path, I mean, it'd be nice to get ahead. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> not uh, always breaking even. <laughs> no, but, uh. Well, wouldn't it, okay? We're putting that out to the loving universe. Yeah, but no. seriously, when you're on your path, I guess it is metaphorical, but it's also uh, literal when you're on your on the Appalachian Trail, apparently. But when you're on your path, when you're honoring whatever that calling is, whatever your purpose, I'm very, I don't know, it happens. Doors just open at the right moment, and you get what you need. And I get that it's nice to have a cushion or get ahead, but somehow you have what you need. You're, you just know you're going to have what you need. No, and I, I, it's been weird to to have that faith but i think as i'm coming up on 40 years on the planet which isn't a isn't a lot of years but not uh, not compared to old nance yeah not compared (laughs) to to uncle nance but in the last few years especially i've realized well you know made it these 40 years and getting all fired up about stuff hasn't really done anything (laughs) so might as well just go with the flow and fucking deal with shit as it comes you know yeah relax and trust and uh yeah and if somebody uh starts fucking with you stand up for yourself and uh 
Know your don't, rights. Don't take any shit. Know your rights. If somebody ever threatens you with a law or anything legal that you don't understand, fucking find someone that does understand it and talk to them. Ask somebody on fucking Reddit, do something. But yeah, there's fucking shitty people out there that will fucking use and abuse you. And uh, a lot of them are handsome, charming, and... Uh, Rich. And smart. Yeah. So and, and be willing to walk away from all that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. Zach Moss. You can find him at ZachMoss.com. Yeah. ZachMoss.com. And thank you for sharing your heart. And I, I just always enjoy visiting with you. Ever since uh, we went on that road gig, I just love that we can talk timeless. I'm 22 years older than you, but I just, I love that there's a timelessness of authentic, oh, yeah. authentic connection. So oh. thanks for sharing your authenticity. And Kids, take care of yourself out there and keep laughing no matter what. Like, subscribe to Uncle Nance's fucking podcast. <laughs> it's a fucking podcast. Traumedy. Sorry, I swear. Um, <laughs> anyway, we can say whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> Love you, Uncle Nance. Thanks Love, for having me. Love you, Zach. Bye. Bye. I want to thank my guest, Zach Moss. Go to ZachMoss.com, Z-A-C-M-A-A-S. See when his comedy special is released. Remember, he's making his headlining debut at Comedy Works Downtown. That's this Thursday, June 8th, Comedy Works Downtown. Go to ComedyWorks.com to get tickets. I want to thank my son, Nathaniel Norton, for producing the music for Tromedy and just for being you and bringing so much light and hilarious, hilarious sarcasm into my life. Tune in every Tuesday. It's Tromedy Tuesday with Nancy Norton. Every week we have an amazing guest, and you can be a guest on Tromedy. Do you have something to share? It's peer-to-peer -peer learning. We're learning from each other. Teach us tools. How do you get through your complex PTSD or PTSD or just your pitfalls, your stresses, your embarrassments? Let's learn from each other, and let's play with each other, and let's learn with laughter. It doesn't have to be a grind. Let's make life more fun. That's why Tromedy is here. I want you to know you're not alone. People often get isolated with their trauma and it's such a dark feeling and energy gets stuck in your body and we're here to help. That's what laughter can do for you. It can help you move that stuck energy out of your body and release it and transmute it with the light so that you stay well, feel resourced and have a better life.